Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now you're very welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown. Andy here with you as always this Friday afternoon where we are recording. Alan is here as always as well, as is Juco James. Lads, how are you getting on? Doing well, thanks. Yeah, just uh, yeah, all right. The tail end of nasty flu. It's finally going, I think. Yeah, yeah. good to see you guys. And Enda, nice to see that your uh, uh, November mustache has transitioned to a, I'm a lazy ass December. So. Yeah, I, I thought I'd just keep it to winter months are over, you know, just to okay. see through the coldness and the, the shite weather we're currently having in Ireland. And whenever I ever I get around to actually stop being lazy, might not happen anytime soon, might not happen anytime sure. soon. But we're not here to talk about my facial hair. Um, we're here to talk about what is two Celtic games over the last uh, week, one against St. Johnson and one against Hibs midweek. We might just talk about the Hibs one first because that's fresher at mind. Like this was a game where Celtic having come off a pretty dire performance at the weekend, James, and you know, from the get go, they seemed sharper. They seemed to be a bit of fire under the players' arses. There was a lot of changes made and we'll talk about those as well. But the shape of the team was generally the same. I think it was the key differences in midfield and up front that really made the difference for Celtic. So, I mean, is this something that we'll see from Celtic going forward? Is this um, a call-out from Brendan Rodgers or what do you see the changes being in relation to? I think the key element is that we didn't have a black hole in any of the positions. (laughs) Um, And that's been one of the elements that we've kind of been suffering from is that whether in you know, that one position in midfield or particularly on the right side um, of, of the wing, we, we've almost gotten no kind of productive creativity or attacking output um, for for large stretches of games. And I think, uh, you know, with McGregor pushing forward and, um, you know, I don't think Johnston had a great game, but he wasn't a train wreck <laughs> like we've been seeing at times. Um, so I, I think those combined and then, you know, it, t- two of our favorite, uh, topics, one, one is game state. So the fact that we got an early goal, um, may very well have shifted. I, I'll, I try to be generous when I look at these things to probably to my own, uh, demise at times, but given the success that they had at home playing a more kind of defensive setup and getting a draw out of that game. The idea that Montgomery would come and shift his tactics to be a lot more open and, you know, less uh, closing down of space at Celtic Park 
I, I think is, you know, naive, be the most generous way to put it. Uh, so I'll, I'll throw him the, um, be generous and say that the early goal shifted but maybe what his game plan was because otherwise I can't figure out what the hell he was doing because I mean the amount of space that we had uh, Alan you, I don't know if you've captured the data yet but I mean um, they, they were about you know there's a metric on average defensive distance and stats bomb and if you think about it from like zero to 100 being each touch line um, their average at the game at home was 31 so you know fairly well far back uh, and it, th- this game it was 39. So they were, and that, it, I look at this metric regularly. So that's a, that's a material difference to put this in context, the, the St. Mirren game plan that we talked about all much of last season, as far as what they had done to, to beat Anja's Celtic, uh, which was, you know, an, an aberration at the time, their defensive distance average for the game was 28. <laughs> so as far as like low block, defend your 18 yard box that gives you kind of some sense of scale and Celtics defensive distance was 54 right so again that gives you an idea that we pre- we were pressing and defending in the opposition half a lot um so you know i i just can't come up with what he would have been doing um in trying to press that much or um because you saw just gaps, huge gaps in the midfield where we were able to capitalize and um, break lines and take out defenders and that kind of thing. So, you know, we played well. Again, it's, it's always the double-edged sword thing, right? The the opponent can assist us in helping us play well and make it easier for us. And I think Hibbs definitely did that, particularly after the goal. Um, but I think it also was that we didn't have any black holes as far as in those um, attacking and even midfield positions, everyone kind of played at least decent. Um, and, you know, overall, I mean, it was as someone um, just watching the game, it was far more entertaining as a result. Yeah. We saw the introduction of Tomoki from the get go. And we knew he was coming in as as well as Mikey Johnson coming in on the wing. We might talk about Mikey Johnson in a little while, but um, we'll start with the midfield because, that does many things to the team. The main thing that it does is it gives a lot of athleticism in the sort of number six position, but it also pushes Cal McGregor forward. Now I know that you're not the biggest fan of Cal McGregor further forward, but interested to hear your thoughts on how this impacted the way that Celtic were able to play. Yeah. Well, and just to clarify on that. So, I mean, I like McGregor deeper because he, he basically controls the whole sort of tempo, if you like, of the team. And, and no one does that job as well as he does. That is his sort of super strength. So you lose that. Yeah. But also, I just think, again, all of his metrics, especially his creative metrics, are regressing year on year. Um, you know, the, I, I just don't think he's got the athleticism, the pace, uh, or even the, even maybe the, the, the vision that he had when he was younger. When, it, when he was a winger, I guess, mainly, uh, to be playing that more advanced position. Um, now, caveat. <laughs> the caveat is, you know, that I think we're making, we're having, we're being forced to make, you know, compromises all over the pitch in terms of who plays, right? Uh, you know, without getting into another recruitment debate. Um, and, and this is a, yet another one. But I do think we've possibly stumbled upon the best midfield three solution in the short term. At, Playing McGregor as an eight, an eight is not a long-term solution, right? I'm very, I'm very settled on that. But as a short-term solution until Hatati's fit or what have you, then I, th- I think it's uh, I think it's, it's actually probably the most serviceable 
option. What I like with McGregor, because he obviously is a very intelligent player, is that <clears throat> it was effectively a double pivot, really, with Iwata. Um, McGregor wasn't overcommitting going forward. O'Reilly was very much um, playing as a, as a 10, really, and almost as a second striker. Um, in fact, if you look at Celtic's average position with the ball, it was a 2-4-4. So they pretty much matched up Hibs uh, all across the pitch and, and, and were able to sort of dominate through having better players. And especially in the fullback positions, as James has said, there was so much space that Johnson and Taylor had a field day. You know, Johnson's passing stats were just back to back to his best, really. Uh, you know, he, he, looked, he looked back to his best on the ball because he was given so much space to pass into, and then he, and he did it very well. Um, so, so um, yeah. But come back to back to Iwata. I, I, you know, he's he's pretty safe on the ball. I, I didn't see a lot of expansive passing, not a lot of line breaking. He did pop up in the box and scored three goals, <laughs> which was a surprise. That was nice to see, uh, you know, from from sort of set plays and things. Um, listen, he's twenty six. He was J League Player of the Year. This, this guy's an experienced player, right? He's, uh, you, you know, and and and, I'm, and and it's probably surprising that he hasn't had more of a a run in the team uh, until this point. I think Rogers referenced that. Said he was injured. I'm not sure he's been that injured that he's. You know that he's missed he's missed so many games, but anyway, um, good to see him in the team. I, I think it was a good, solid performance. I think probably oh, um, McGregor and O'Reilly are, are the best options we've got at eight in the moment. Sadly, yeah, as I say, long story short, I think it's the best option we have for a midfield three. I think Home has just not shown he can he can get on the ball. It's, it's, really, it's really weird. He, he just can't seem to get on the ball when he plays. He's been given some chances. He looks like a very good player he's just you know I think maybe like Rogers would call it personality but he just doesn't seem to be able to you know impose himself on games and, and get involved in, in the games um, and, and Bernardo is just a, one of the weirdest players I've ever seen in terms of you know I thought we were getting a, a, a creative goal scoring midfielder and instead we've got somebody who's absolutely brilliant off the ball and then when he gets it he passes it square or backwards it's just really bizarre so yeah I was happy with Siawata, and I think it's, I think it's, uh, I think it will keep us. I would, I would keep that midfield now until, as I say, Hatati gives gives us uh, some more options. Yeah, you, you'd almost forget that Hatati is still actually available for Celtic when he come, eventually comes back mm. from injury. It's been that long since he's been playing, but boy, have they missed him in the midfield. Um, but I mean, these these changes came off the back of a poor performance last weekend against St. Johnson, uh, James. And after the game, Rogers had some really, really strong comments on the state of the team and the state of the, the current squad saying that uh, there's no dressing it up. He said that the, the club has lost real quality players over the summer and that they haven't replaced them and that they need to bring in more quality. So, I mean, I think he's sort of on the line of where the supporters are at at the minute, that the summer signings haven't stuck and that the players that are currently, that were at the club last year are currently the players that are still pushing the, the current squad on. The main change that you've seen from this is Mikey Johnson coming in uh, on the right wing for Yang. I think that was the most obvious one when, when Yang was taken off at, at halftime. Uh, at the weekend and then suddenly is out of the squad and Mikey Johnson comes in now. Um, Brendan Rogers did, did have some things to say about Mikey Johnson as well, saying that 
he has a lot of work to do in terms of his positional play, in terms of his work rate and other other aspects of the game, sort of similar to what other managers have said, that he has a lot of quality, but he needs to work on a lot of things like that. So, I mean, Mikey Johnson is not going to change things, but I suppose needs must at this point in time. If Mikey Johnson is a better option than Yang, then why not bring him in? Well, this goes back to what I was saying about Black Hole. I mean, I, that first half against St. Johnston was an abomination. I mean, I, sitting there watching it, I mean, it was just one of the worst um, halves that I can remember, um, just a, a, kind of three-dimensionally. And, and again, obviously, Rodgers and the staff not only will have the experience to be able to feel and sense um, levels of commitment and effort, that kind of thing, and they've probably also have tracking data as far as you know measuring how active players are um but in my mind it was just maybe uh focus i mean because it just looked like a bunch of stupid playing as well you know just making silly um stupid decisions and mistakes and it was just horrific and and um so you know johnston i think uh freshened it up but mostly um i think it was again just not being absolutely horrible <laughs> he was he was okay he was fine but <laughs> i mean it was that's how bad that first half was and uh that's how bad yang was in that first half and not to pick him out because again every the whole team was just awful yang was i think a special brand of of awful um and i i, I think to, to go back to awada for a second and this goes back to this benchmarking exercise i do is and when i did it on his his uh time in japan I think I wrote something like he, it looks like his superpower is being safe on the ball, meaning that he, his passing statistics, I think he only had, you know, this is based off Y scout data, but um, he only had one pass that wasn't accurate in the game. And obviously, you know, high volume of <laughs> passing um, that's not unusual for him. Like if you go back through his time in Japan, now that his time was also split relatively balanced between center back and defensive midfield in Japan. But, um, you know, he, but he's not going to be that creative deep lying playmaker. Um, that's not part of his toolkit. And um, so back, back to what Alan says about compromising, um, you know, that, that creates some potential issues and build up as we've talked about. Um, and then, you know, as, teams do camp in so right so this will be the interesting question because i think you know sunday is going to be a a noticeable shift in test not only because of the pitch but we're unlikely to get a game plan out of Derek mckinnis that's going to be as um uh, adventurous in defending as as hibbs was um and then you're left with okay awada and and maybe as alan saying maybe you have a double pivot more so when we're in that final encampment and of the the final third for Kilmarnock um none of those issues were really present in the St. Johnston game in the second half and particularly against Hibbs um St. Johnston was more so because we were just playing so much better and it, you know we almost came out like a whirling dervish in that uh, last I, I would say the last half hour I mean it wasn't the first five ten minutes of the second half wasn't all that great either um so yeah I I, I think Johnson will help, Awada can help, but there are still, you know, complicating factors with whomever we put in because of um, the state of the squad at this point. Mm. Well, 
let's stick with Awada for just one second then, Alan. If we take the positives of his mobility to get across, there was a couple of moments where he did shut down the space very well uh, against Hibbs off the ball. Um, we take his safeness on the ball and we take the uh, ability to shift Cal McGregor into a more progressive position as positives. Why haven't we seen more of Awada? Like what, what is it that has kept Awada out of the team? Bearing in mind that, you know, Brennan has alluded to issues in training with the likes of Lagerbielka, Navrosky. We'll touch on that later on. So he's obviously seeing the day in, day out training sessions. So aside from what we may not be seeing in training, why has Awada failed to make a dent on the midfield so far for Celtic in what? It's like, is it 16 months he's been at the club? Yeah, I, I honestly don't don't know. I mean, last season, it was just a case of you had McGregor, O'Reilly, Moy, Hatati, and, and they, you know, when they were all fit, that was, you were going to choose, you know, three out of those four. Um, this this season, you know, we've got a couple of kids who look quite raw in home and Bernardo. I don't know why he hasn't, uh, you know, because we've clearly kind of struggled a little bit in, in that area. So I, I don't know the answer to that, but, you know, there has been um, some quite odd um, decisions. I mean, for example, you know, Bernabe got like 12 minutes at home to Aberdeen. Where did that come from? He hasn't been on the bench since. Why did we suddenly do that? You know, that was just really weird. I- Iwata, he's, he played two games, then we didn't see him again for about four games. And then he played in three games, then we didn't see him again for another three games, and then suddenly he's playing 90 minutes. So that that, that was that's really been quite, quite weird. Tilio got 10 minutes against Motherwell and wasn't even on the bench for the next two games. And then suddenly he gets another cameo, you know, the other night. So I, I'm, I'm some, some of these things are, are like, you know, just all over the place. And I don't know whether that's Rogers reacting to um, training and who's training well, maybe, um, or people have just had knocks that we don't know about. Cause I do try and track player injuries and I'm not aware of any injuries for all the players I've just mentioned. It's, the reason for them being in the squad one time and not so a long way of saying roundabout way of saying I don't I don't know Enda to be honest with you but um I'm kind of glad he's there now because as I say I do I do think it's it looks to me um the, the most cohesive potential that we have in that position. I do take James's point that you know Hibbs almost was was the perfect scenario in that you know an early goal opens the game up against a team that's very very four four two with very attacking uh, forwards and 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 although they tried to be a little bit narrow in midfield they generally there was a lot of space there so it was a nice game for Celtic and you know I don't want to downplay it we played well you know and we, we we deservedly could have won you know we got some some sites had us more than sort of four xg so you could have, we could have scored a hat for really. Um, but Kilmarnock will be completely different. It will be a very congested centre of the pitch. It will be a very deep defence. It will be a very tricky surface. So let, let's see. But, you know, in the round, I, I would persist with it personally. Mm. And I suppose sticking with that, like looking at the way the Celtic played in the first half in particular, James, with O up front, um, I sort of felt sorry for Kyogo then when he came on because Celtic stopped playing in the manner that would have totally suited them down to the ground. They started actually playing Kyogo ball, playing balls through straight through the defense really quickly and playing balls low into the box and O capitalized. I think we're seeing like the quality that is there with O if you service him. Um, but it was like 
the perfect fodder for Kyogo to score like four goals in that game until he came on and then the game plan just seemed to go out the window. Uh, against Kilmarnock, do you go with O again, who's off the back of two goals, who has strength, he has a little bit more aerial dominance, he can hold the ball up a little bit more where Kyogo can't? Um, or do you go with Kyogo, who is a tried and tested goal scorer in the Celtic squad? That is a great question. What a professional host you are. Um, because I, I think that might be the most, um, you know, outside of whether uh, Carter Vickers' fitness is uh, and kind of rules him out, uh, which wouldn't be a surprise um, given the pitch and oh, that that gloriously balmy weather that you that they've been getting in uh, in the aisles um, is. I, I could see a scenario um, where he plays both where he goes with O because of it being, you know, traditionally a, a game that's more um, lenient towards a physicality uh, presence, uh, given the the bouncing ball in, in, in Kilmarnock and the high balls that tend to be more prevalent. Um, I, I, I get back to Alan's comment because I think it segues, it fits with this part of the conversation is um, – some of the chop, chopping and changing personnel-wise, I think, has been kind of a search, it looks like to me anyway, a search for solutions, um, given these imperfect parts that he's been been left with, both because of recruitment but also because of injuries. Uh, what I've been surprised by is almost a – he's been relatively bereft in searching relative to um, shape, changing shape. Uh, you know, there's been a little tweaks – but generally speaking, we haven't seen anything significant in that regard. Um, so I think it'll be interesting. Would this be the kind of game like it in my mind, it would suit that kind of more significant shift in shape, meaning play with two strikers or, um, you know, something like a three, four, two, one or a three, four, one, two, something like that. And I, I've been, I mean, I still think our personnel lines up with that fairly well. Um, not perfect obviously um, at the wing back position in particular, but so it, it's, it'll be fascinating, I think to see whether or not, cause it's been this kind of uniform four, three, three, four, two, three, one hybrid. Um, and, and we haven't seen much in the way of shifting from that. Cause even within when they've both played, it's been more Kigo dropping into that 10 role. Um, almost like what O'Reilly was playing a lot of um, against Hibs as far as that kind mm-hmm. of, second striker dropping deep. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting. I, I, I would probably do something more in the lines of playing both because, again, we're not screaming for excesses at the wing position. <laughs> um, so if you if you kind of take, you know, Johnston, um, Taylor, playing both of those type of players relative to what they've been performing at and leaving somebody like Kyogo or O on the bench, given the nature of this likely you know um opponent and and style of play i don't know i I, it wouldn't uh it wouldn't annoy me to see something more a little more not radical in the sense that absolute radical but radical in the sense that we haven't really seen you know a a shift in in shape yeah well call me crazy and many will um for this alan and i have not thought this through more than uh the last 30 seconds when james was talking but would a situation where do you know how Liverpool are playing at the minute with Trent Alexander-Arnold, where he's playing right back, but he's essentially playing 
uh, center mid. So he's he's playing as an inverted right back, but that's not that's not the t- whole team playing. It's just him. And essentially, what they do is the whoever is the other midfielder at the time or the left back will cut in and they'll play three center backs with Trent in in the midfield as opposed to right back. Would something like that work with Cal McGregor as a solution to the Greg Taylor issue at left back, where you pay you start Cal McGregor as a left back in the system? with Alistair Johnson cutting in as a centre-back, which he does naturally at times as well. Um, but Cal McGregor essentially fulfills the need for control in the midfield and a better solution at left-back, which would then allow you to get Awada into the midfield with a Turnbull and a Riley or a Hatate and a Riley and a Wata. And suddenly you have more uh, legs in the midfield. You've got safer passing in, in the midfield. And then you've also got a solution to your left-back problem as well in the short term before you actually bring in a left-back. So it's it's an interesting idea, and it has been done before um, on at least two occasions, I'm sure about, maybe more, that McGregor has played that role. And where it worked really well was in games at home against relatively weak opposition, where obviously he's not being asked to do much defending. And uh, the results were actually incredible. Um, there was one game, I think it was against Ross County, where nominally McGregor played as the left back, and he actually completed something like 142 passes from that position. He completely controlled the game from that position. He still had three other midfielders in front of him, plus winger and striker, but he was essentially an extra ball midfield that sat a little bit deeper. And 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 I think I think another game, and it might have been against. Ross County as well, or somebody of certainly somebody of that that kind of standard, and, and similar. I think he completed like 120 or 130. Pack. It was it was just it was just an almost incredible performance. He just utterly dominated the ball. So it's not it's not a ridiculous uh, suggestion by any means. Um, I'm delighted to hear that. No, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't I don't know what to what extent it would work away at Kilmarnock, uh, to be honest. But I mean, maybe maybe it's not too risky in the sense that just quickly looking at their stats. I mean they've probably got the least effective attack in the league actually i think their xg is if is, is either equal lowest or lowest in the whole league so they're especially, really that especially good from forward. open play especially from open play allen they're, they're dreadful yeah 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 and now, now listen we know we know that you know from free set pieces the lad armstrong he's excellent actually he's probably one of the most noteworthy players outside of the the top two in terms of his contribution to that team and he's, his delivery is fantastic, and he's a goal threat. Um, and we know that you know defensively they're, they're pretty strong. So I mean, this this game has got all the makings. You know, we, we were worried about. We, we said last week we're more worried about St Johnson than Hibbs because the St Johnson game, Levine, Levine, you know, they were going to pack in if we didn't play well on a frosty pitch. There was a real sort of. Um, Risk of a nil-nil. Actually, there was a real risk of getting beat, as it turned out. And this is this is very similar, right? This is very, very similar. In fact, more more so because Kilmarnock are more. Um, I've got far better de- uh, defence than than what uh, St Johnson have, and and uh, you know add in add in the pitch uh, aspects of it as well. And and you're really looking at this is going to be an absolute battle. So. I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't think that's the most horrible idea I've ever heard. Uh, it's another, yeah, another fiddling about, another compromise. Um, Taylor was actually pretty, pretty decent. Say he had, I think he was suffering from a bit of flu as well himself. I think that's why he went off. He actually did pretty well. To say that he, he wasn't feeling too good, um, but you know, 
we I don't, I don't think we all, none of us think that Greg Taylor's the long term answer there. So yeah, listen. But then you would have to put another body into it. So you know, we're back to our, is Bernardo or home ready to uh, to step up and, and contribute to a ninety minute performance in a, in a difficult away game? You know, Bernardo works out well in Europe because again, it's what he does off the ball that that stands out. But you know, the onus will be on him to get into the box and create things. We've not seen that mm. yet. So I think I think by 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 sort of fiddling with one problem, we may create another. This is, is my yeah. is my worry. To be honest with you, I, I just think the safest thing to do is to go with the same team that started against Hibs because generally played pretty well. In fact, it got horrible when we brought the subs on. I mean, you know, Phillips and Ralston were just, oh my God. you know, it just slowed the whole game down. It was just became really horrible. I mean, Scales been great, but he is, and, and I've got the data on this now, <laughs> he is, he does move the ball slower than anyone else in the back line that we've had over the last two seasons. We're talking like fractions of a second here, but it is, is it is, uh, it is a thing. So um, it all became, it all became a bit stodgy in that second half. And so I, I wouldn't change it if, if we didn't have to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Nat Phillips with probably uh, 10 minutes of the worst defending I've seen in a Celtic shirt over the last uh, number of years when he came on um, most notably the one that didn't end up in a goal where he was being taken on and he falls over his own feet a couple of times and then they get a shot away it just, it just about uh, doesn't end up in a goal but I don't think Celtic will be making that a permanent move uh, come January but it's a nice little segue into the defensive issues because we got some insight into why Liam Scales is starting ahead of our big money signings from the summer and that is training as uh, as was mentioned by Brendan Rogers, saying that he loves the word personality. Personality can mean a thousand different things for Brendan Rogers, but he said that um, it's always personality. There are clearly players ahead of them. Uh, what takes my attention in training? I'm out there every day watching training, and when I see players train and work with that personality, they will age closer to my thinking. Unfortunately for Mike and Gustav, Scales has come to, come into the team and has really taken his opportunity. Nat Phillips has been a great positive influence. It's an area of the team I don't want to change much. So, Jim, how bad in training do you think Navrosky and Lagerbielka must be for Nat Phillips to be ahead of them in Brendan Rodgers' thinking right now, Jim's? I, to me, Lagerbielka is an easy answer, is that, um, you know, there's Usually when I do my benchmarking uh, exercise, I um, specifically refrain from watching any video as a way of kind of, you know, highlighting what the potential value of of, of doing the exercise is. Um, but his profile was so weird. I was like, I got to look at this guy because this just looks, his, you know, he, he was um, uh, seemingly a fairly good long ball player from the center back position on a team that, didn't have the ball that much. And, you know, they're more of a long ball defensive team. Um, but his, his short and intermediate passing data was pretty atrocious. <laughs> and, but he also liked to take players on dribbling. Right. So, and he was pretty good at it. So that, you know, that's weird. And then his, his data for doing any kind of running with the ball was oddly low, almost like he never runs with the ball in possession, which is weird for a guy that dribbles a lot. So I had to look at him. Um, and when I looked at him, I'm like, geez, this guy is slower than Molasca. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This in February, <laughs> which, which suited what his running related statistics um, suggested. And that was, to me, it was like, what? I, I can't even imagine how this guy made a list for Celtic. Um, you know, having having a guy who can't run play a high line as a center back, um, probably less than ideal. So again, it's not that he's a bad player; it's just fit relative to the system. Didn't make any sense to me. Um, Navrosky. So I, I suspect that might be part of the equation, which is, you know, God forbid we turn the ball over <laughs> and have a slow center back. That's and and you know that's one of our primary vulnerabilities domestically is in transition and. Um, you know, having a center back that can't recover with pace. And that's, again, that's why Starfelt was generally very good domestically. That's why Scales, you know, he he doesn't have elite speed, but he's got pretty good speed and he's got that Mm. motor, that engine at the center back position. Um, Navrosky is the more interesting one. Um, His profile was one of, if an actual, the most likely area that I saw where he would struggle is the physicality. Um, He looked like he may not be the most kind of on-ball, man-versus-man defensive presence. Um, And I suspect that might be the issue that he might be needing to work on, meaning that even if you're working as hard as you can, if you're being physically overpowered um, as a defender in Scotland uh, for Celtic domestically, that can be a problem, Um, particularly in a game like we're we're expecting on on Sunday. So um, that's my guess on both of them. Again, I don't know. It's just that's based off of – the, the profiling that I did before we signed them. Um, and, you know, again, 
this is where you get back to this why was Awada not playing? It's if you're if you're gonna compensate and say, okay, we're going with scales as the center back because of these other issues. This is this, you know, um least bad optimization challenge that Rogers has been dealing with, I suspect, is you know, Hart's who he is, you're having to compromise and put scales in at center back. What Alan was just saying as far as relative to the speed of buildup with him at center back is, you know, glacial, shall we say. Um, that's the purpose that McGregor was playing. And if you look at his data when he was playing in that p- position, he's dropping deeper than he has usually. And he's so that's been his functionary role, which is vitally important, but also horribly boring and uh in no way sexy, but also important. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think that's been the compromising that he's been making. And it'll be interesting, as we've been saying, plopping a wada in that role. He's not going to say it serve the same functionality as McGregor. So does that mean McGregor has to drop deep anyway? And now we've got two midfielders to compensate for this issue at center back. Um, so it'll be interesting. Um, but that's, I suspect those are the big issues with, with those, those two players in particular. What do you think, Alan? I think it's beyond exasperating that Nat Phillips is performing better in training than Lavrotsky and Lagabielka based on his performance the other night. I, I just, <laughs> it's just exasperating. Um, because yeah, Phillips, Somebody in, in in a WhatsApp group, and I'm sorry, I, I can't remember who it was, it wasn't ours, said that he thought Phillips was Liverpool's Tony Ralston. <laughs> like, a guy, probably brilliant to have around the place, probably brilliant in training, um, will always try his heart out, but there's just fundamental limitations there that will never change around, you know, mainly around sort of awkwardness and speed of play. Um and he looks very much like that to me. He looks like a player who needs a lot of games to get up to match fitness. And, um, yeah, he's good in the air. Definitely is headed Jules stats. Brilliant. Um, he's like a slightly more, slightly safer version of Shane Duffy, what I can see. Just really not a lot of mobility there. And, I mean, it was embarrassing, actually, the way he got turned and set out by Yuan. I mean, Yuan's a good player. I thought he had a good game, actually, the other night. He, uh, based on what Hibs fans say, he seems to pick and choose when he's on. Um, hence why he's been on the bench recently. But um, anyway, he turned him inside out twice, could have scored two goals, score one. Um, and he looked what he did, like you say, and just looked awful, cumbersome, slow, uh, uncoordinated. Um, and if, and if he's, as I say, if he's performing better than the other options, I, I, I'm, I'm pulling what little hair I have left out at this point. I mean, Cracky is Steve Welsh fit yet? <laughs> I mean, where are we? It's just yet another problem I didn't think we would be having. And well, we shouldn't be fucking having. It's just another one to add to the list. <clears throat> yeah, like on, on top of the winger situation where Celtic are actually short on wingers and they're short on strikers and they're short on left back options. Like center <laughs> center back is not the position. The position where we have the most amount of players there and available is not the position I thought we would be having the most amount of discussion about throughout the year. Um, And look, if you're not doing it in training, you don't deserve to start. That's 
as, as simple as. So I'm I'm fully behind Brennan Rogers in this. If you're not training to the sure, extent sure. where you're going to be fit enough and sharp enough to do it on the pitch, then and I'm sorry, you're just going to be on the bench, and that's your own problem. You need to work harder. Um, Nat Phillips, I, I feel slightly sorry for him because I mean, how do you get up to speed with the highest level in Scotland? Um and the highest expectation and a different style of play if you haven't played more than like, you know, eight games in a row over the last four seasons for the club that you currently are on loan from. It's, you know, it is mm. <laughs> quite a difficult task, but I mean, he certainly hasn't stamped his place in the team to the point where he can actually get that run of games. So again, you're looking back to scales and look, I I know I'm the scales PR man um, and all that, but I'd rather like marginally slower play from the build up and the quality that he's bringing in that because I think that needs to be brought into that is that Scales is a really really good passer of the ball like he's incredibly he firstly when he plays a safe pass he's safe for those passes but then he is good at breaking the line as well with uh, with his longer passing as well so I mean he he still deserves to start in my eyes I I I think there are certain echelons of the Celtic fans that are waiting for skills to make a massive blunder so they can go, ah, see, I told you, he's not good enough for Celtic. He'll never be good enough for Celtic and he'll be dropped and they'll be proven right after all. But um, yeah, if he's not, if the challenge is not there from the other ones, then he's the man that's going to be starting on the team. And I think that's what Brendan Rodgers is essentially saying here. Um, just before we move on from the quality issue, uh, the January transfer market is going to be opening now shortly Celtic are going to be looking to bring some players in Vioski um, from Aberdeen is being linked with a 4.5 million move not sure I can get behind that one uh, fully just yet but uh, I did a thread uh, last week about Celtic's transfers where I went through the uh, quality the success rate that Celtic had it is slightly su- subjective I know Alan you uh, would have changed one or two things uh, that I did, but essentially I came to the conclusion that Celtic over the last 10 years uh, have had a success rate of around 32% with their transfers. Um, I don't think I'm too far off, am I? Well, it wasn't, I mean, I'll, I'll let James take the bulk of this because he's. I think it's something that he's probably spent a lot longer on than I have in terms of doing deeper dives, but I, I've done something similar along, along the lines. I track all these things. You're probably not surprised to know. Um, yeah, and I think uh, 32% sounds low. I think James, uh, I think we'll, we'll say something along the lines that, you know, f- about 50% hit rate is probably where you should be uh, aiming for. Um, and listen, we know we know that um, we've had issues over the years, let's call it, in terms of um, how, how the recruitment and uh, operation has been run. Um, you know, long story short, we had a, a meddling CEO um, and we probably overused certain agents and it was all a bit too too kind of um, parochial and chummy in that regard um i'd like to think we've moved to a more um you know modern structure but as we've said many times uh, this year um i'm not convinced we've got the right talent actually in the key roles and therefore we're making bad decisions mm-hmm. um and, and the, the the clear evidence for that is the work that again i'm I'll let James speak for himself in a second as the work James did on benchmarking the two lads from Korea and also Lagerbielka. None of those signings made any sense. Lagerbielka, I think, is probably a good footballer, but he's in the wrong team for his style of play. The two Korean lads are just miles short of the quality that Celtic need uh, to, to be recruiting. So, but 
I'll, I'll, I'll say, I think this is something probably, James, you might want to pick up on. Yeah, I, I just don't think, um, I, I think as Alan describes it, it's, it's, there, there's not a, been a level of sophistication in the, the, um, the player trading model. It, it's been, you know, we're, we're, we're still doing it as if it's the 80s and 90s, I think, for the most part. <laughs> um, and we, we've been, I think, trying, it seems, in the last few years to advance the ball a little bit. Um, but it, it's been varying degrees of poor relative to this, you know, these two worlds that we're kind of crossing over from and into. Um, yeah, I, I think... The other part of this is is not only like, Lagerbickel is a, a good example of this, um, as was Ajeti, as was Duffy. It's not that these players are bad players um, or that they have no talent or that they have no usefulness. It's a question of role optimization um, and, you know, what the team actually needs and having some coherence. And that that's one of the things I said with when Ange came in is that I, I thought, our, the quality of talent identification didn't improve dramatically, but at least we got more coherent. <laughs> and that prior to that, we had been so incoherent. Um, and and that, that's where we've, that's what made this past summer so frustrating is that I think we got the worst of both of those <laughs> is we got a, a fair amount of incoherence mixed with quality that just wasn't there either. Um, so, you know, and some of that, this also also comes down to, um, you know, bureaucracy and friction. So when you have um, turnover at the manager position and you have a manager as God model where you're not going to have uniformity in style of play and you're going to have managers have a material impact on the type of the profile of player that you want to be recruiting, by definition, every turnover, you're going to have friction. And that friction, if you have a recruitment process that requires a pipeline of review and in-person scouting and doing various things of, and I'm not, I'm not saying that that's necessarily a bad thing, but if it's bureaucratic and takes months on end in order to establish certain things that meet your requirements to sign a player, by definition, every time you get a new manager, it's going to be a mess because you're not going to have the bureaucracy fulfilled to meet the requirements of the new manager. And that's, you saw that even with Ange's, you know, when Ange came in, the amount of players that were signed that made, you know, no sense in that first window, you know, Shaw, uh, Irrigidi, Hart, uh, uh, James McCarthy. I mean, just, you know, varying degrees of wacky and, um, but even if you go back, Shane Duffy, uh, Barkas, Barkas was retur- or not Barkas, um, Ajeti. Ajeti was recruited to be, you know, the second striker in a three-five-two system, and then we stopped playing it almost immediately after he was signed. And then you know people moan that, and fairly enough that you know he what he didn't play well. Well, of course not. He's not a, a single striker system striker. <laughs> like he's he's a poacher in the box. Uh, within like you know 12 yards that's what he thrives at um you know put put jack Amakis in that neil lennon side and see how well he would have played you know it probably would have been a train wreck as well it's all about you know this kind of fit and optimizing um so yeah i i 
and it, this goes above and beyond the actual player trading aspect of this, which has been poor as well. And if you benchmark it, it's been, you know, really poor. Um, things like not selling, you know, in Cham when he's at his peak value. And, you know, the, the selling decision has been really poor as well. Uh, so it, it, it's almost at each stage of the process here, we've been coming up um, short. And, um, you know, that's where, again, was I, I based off of Roger's comments, he seems to be acutely aware of the issue now. Um, so how that gets resolved, I think, will be the most interesting part for the coming window and then probably more importantly um, next summer. And I'm not like a, you know, I'm not an ideologue in this sense, meaning that I, I'd be content with a couple of loans that were of a quality coming in. It, you know, it, ideally, if they have an option to buy that kind of thing. But it is really hard to get, you know, particularly with the limitations that we seem to have with the decision makers, the idea that we're going to have some brilliant January window of getting eight guys out placing them well, <laughs> putting them in loan positions or, you know, sales that make sense for their career and for Celtic. And then also bring in three or four players of, you know, this aspirational quality. I, I, you know, I just don't think that on a permanent basis, I just think that's highly unlikely. So if we get yeah. one or two high level loan players um, and get a lot of people out, then I would consider that January a success. I was actually I wasn't trying to see if Celtic were good at ba- good or bad at transfers when I was doing that. It was more uh, seeing the price range of players to see where Celtic have actually had the success. And surprise, surprise, any player that Celtic spent more than seven million on was a success and one of the standout players. And surprise, surprise, any player that Celtic play- paid more or less than one million for didn't make any sort of impact at all. They had two major wins in that. One of them was Frimpong, and I can't remember who the second one was. I think it might uh, Lee Griffiths. uh, Lee Griffiths, that's exactly. Those two players were the two wins that Celtic had for that price range. Other than that, it's a waste of time bringing in uh, players for that amount of money to the top club in Scotland. It's just has a a real high failure rate. So, um, yeah, you can go check that out on Twitter if you want to go and have a look at uh, some of Celtic's moves over the last uh, 10 years or so in the transfer market. Just before we finish up then, the name that I mentioned there, Miovoski, I'm sorry if I'm butchering that. Miovoski. I mean, look, (sighs) at the price range, Alan, I'm just saying no. I mean, like, if you're going to spend $5 which is probably going to be if Aberdeen are looking for 4.5, um, you're probably going to spend 5 million, and including his wages and whatever add-ons and bonuses and et cetera that you end up paying agent fees. I mean, should Celtic not be looking for some higher quality there for that amount of money? Um, like, I'm, I'm, he's a good player. I've been really you know, impressed with him for Aberdeen. He looks like a dangerous player. But he doesn't improve what Celtic have in the physicality aspect up front. He's not more clinical than uh, than Kyogo is up front. And his movement isn't better than Kyogo or O's. So I'm just like, why are we spending $5 million on this guy? Hmm. So the, the, the Lee Griffiths segue uh, was inadvertent, actually, but, but it was going to work really well because, you know, what other categories? Does Lee Griffiths fit into in terms of this conversation? 
he was the last striker that Celtic bought that you would say had SPF, SPFL experience. I mean, I know this Celtic Wolves, but obviously played in, in Scotland before, you know, for a long time before that. So that's the last striker Celtic signed that actually played in the league and knew the league. And then obviously he did very well uh, for, for, and you know, ended bad. But for the most part, you would say he was a success. Um, does that does that matter? Probably not. Um, but but I think I've I've looked at this with, with intrigue. It might be because of the enormous frustrations I'm feeling about so many other parts of the team. I'm choosing to be looking at this one more uh, more kind of optimistically. But I, I think it's an intriguing one if you look at the positives. I think he's here's a guy who. For a start, he's a good age, right? He's 24. He's clearly done very well for Aberdeen in a team that is really poor and doesn't play in a way that gets the best out of him. And yet he's still put up decent numbers despite that. He scored in Europe for them. He scored, you know, he's got a good record in the conference or the Europa League, whatever they've been playing in the last couple of years. Um, he's played as a single striker. He's played in a pair. Um, he's... He's, he did well in Hungary. He's now done well in Scotland. So the guy is has got that adaptability about him. He's got 17 caps. He's only 24 years old. So he's he's, he's got a good level of international experience as well. Um, so I, I, I think it's an intriguing one. I, I wouldn't write it off, to be honest, at this stage. I think, to your point, I think the price point is, is very high. But I suspect he wouldn't be on massive wages. Like, if he came on, I wouldn't be surprised if he, you know, Around the sort of low low teens or you know, grand a week type of thing, I can't imagine he's on more than five or six grand a week at Aberdeen. I just don't think they would pay more than that. So he probably wouldn't he wouldn't be expensive in the, in in the long term as far as our old friend amortisation is concerned. Even even if the transfer fee is a little bit clunky. So yeah, I'm intrigued by this one. I think there's some. Uh, I've tried to. I take your point about maybe some. I'm not as familiar with his style of play. You you mentioned a few things there that I can't argue with because I just don't I don't have the information but as I say those are these are those were the things I think that I chose to 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 uh to have about that particular uh, possibility yeah I mean like if he's coming in as a second or third choice I think that's it's, it's a totally fine option like you know he he is a, he is a good player from what I've seen of him um and I'm sure he would actually come in and score you know 10 11 goals maybe if he was getting regular game time for Celtic, you know, I don't think that's an unreasonable thing. It's not something you'd certainly turn your nose up, up uh, at at this point in time, James. But what I, what I'm looking at this is, okay, Brendan Rodgers wants quality. He wants to bring in quality players that are going to make an impact on the team and progress the team in Europe. This to me looks like the easy option. Oh, this guy's available. He plays in the league that we play in. We could afford him. And let's bring him in to quiet down Rogers for a couple of months because if we spend five million on a striker, I mean we're paying five million on a striker. It's such a young age. You're so cynical. This is incredible. <laughs> so so sad. Am I wrong? Uh, you've been hanging out with those old men too long. Um, so I I think the first elephant in the room I think is. Um, Kyogo may not be a good fit for Brendan Rodgers' system. <laughs> um, and we haven't really talked about that too much. And that's not to say that he's not a terrific player. He's not, you know, um, of a quality or standard that makes sense at Celtic. 
Uh, I think we all love him, all love watching him play. Um, but I, I think if Brendan Rodgers had a clean slate to allocate resources, uh, the profile of Kyoga would not be the type of striker that he would select. Um, and I, I wonder, given his age, whether or not next summer might not be a time that we look to move him on. Um, and if you, if you think about it within that context, I think Miofsky makes a lot of sense. I agree with Alan. Um, I, I think Griffiths is a nice kind of analog form. Um, I mean, he's probably right on that edge as far as whether or not he could be a material contributor at the Europa League level, who kind of like what we, I think, envision of Celtic being that kind of late stage Europa League as, as the base case. Um, I think he can be, I, 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 I think his athleticism is enough. I don't, you know, he's not a barn burner. He's not like a really pacey striker, but the thing that stood out to me when I've looked at him is he, he, seems to tick off. I, I have a, a basket of metrics that I look at that are kind of proxies for player IQ. And I don't mean that in an academic sense, but in like a, being a smart footballer, um, you know, spatial intelligence and um, that kind of thing. And he, he's, he ticks all of them off. Um, so he strikes me as a, a very smart player and a creative striker, even within that, that context. Um and, and and so I think he would scale very well into Celtic, meaning that the volume of opportunities that he would get and his ability to navigate around the box at Celtic, I think, would be potentially very positive. But he's not the kind of physical stud that I think, you know, a Brendan Rodgers is likely to want as, you know, one. So he would be kind of 1A. I think O kind of does, you know, move in that direction. Um, so I, I could see a Miofsky coming in in January, uh, and then, you know, that also helps with maybe the, the issue of Kyogo being gone for the Asian Cup, um, Maeda as well, potentially. And then next summer, maybe Kyogo moves on, and then we bring in, you know, the young stud um, that would be more kind of prototypical Rogers. And then you've got a nice, like that to me is a, a great mix of three strikers. Um, and, and also allows for a lot of flexibility as far as system. Because that's the other issue I mentioned earlier. You know, one of the, the issues is Rogers hasn't been as um, exploratory on the on the system side. And part of that, I again, reasonably so, who's the, who's the sub to come on <laughs> at the striker position if you start both of them um, at the beginning of the game or if one of them gets hurt, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, so, yeah, I, I actually like the idea of Miofsky. The price, I think, is they're going right for a good striker. <laughs> um, and I, I do think that there's this, you know, there's this um, bias against not only Scottish players, but, you know, players in the league, understandably at times. Um, but, you know, there's there's been a lot of good players, both Scottish domestically and then others that have kind of passed through and um, we, we miss. And I, so I, I would actually be okay with, with, um, Miofsky, even at that price. Yeah. Listen, we spent the same amount on Ajeti, so it can't be more of a waste of money than he. So um listen, if it happens, it happens. I'm I'm like I'm not gonna turn my nose up at another option as a striker, but personally I think it's a little too easy. It's a little too convenient that there happens to be a striker nearby that uh Celtic will be l- looking to bring forward. But I mean they are gonna need a striker 
should the Asian Cup roll around and we lose two to three of our forward players uh, to that. So, uh, well, yeah. R- real quick, the, the flip side of this is, I mean, Aberdeen are in a relegation battle <laughs> at this point. I mean, it's early. They, It's incredible given the quality of players that they have. You know, we've talked about this since the summer um, in how odd they've been since Robson got, came uh, or arrived as the manager. And um, so it'll be interesting whether or not they would take that, you know, risk of selling one of their best players, even for that money, when they probably could get something similar in the summer, I would guess. Um, mm. Given that, I mean, it's probably still a low probability. It's not, but it's not like, it's more like Donald Trump getting elected in 2016 low of probability, which it's still it's still uncomfortably high, even though it's probably not going to happen. Um, so, yeah, so that that comes back to we whether or not we'd have to overpay. It comes back to why, you know, January is a rough window. I don't want to overpay for Miofsky, if particularly if it's likely that we could get him in in uh, in mm. the summer. Um and I could see a situation where Aberdeen's not all that willing of a seller. Yeah, that's remember, remember uh, Ender, that uh, Mayovsky was way more of a standout in Aberdeen at uh, Aberdeen side last season than Scales was. And Scales is now the starter for Celtic. So. I, I, listen, to, I'm sorry, I know we're running out of time, but I, I, I just, I just add a bit of um, frisson to this. I, I kind of disagree about Kyogo. I. I would see. I would say there's a lot of stylistic similarities between Kyogo and, for example, Jamie Vardy. Uh, to be honest with you, and Jamie Vardy was Leicester's striker mainly under under Rogers. So I don't. I I I think the problem we've got with Kyogo is is just the absolute sheer lack of certainty he's getting. That that's really that's really the issue. Um, I mean, he, he, my goodness, doesn't he look frustrated? He's turned into angry Kyogo. He's barging into the St. Johnson keeper, fouling people against Hibs. He just—he looks like he's, he's turned into a little angry Keo. Like he's clearly very frustrated. But the serious point is, he's just getting no service. And uh, I think if he was given, and listen, this is an easy. This is this was always likely to happen at some point because he touches the ball so few times. If things aren't going for him, it's very noticeable. It's not like he's, you know, like Jota, where he puts one over the bar, and then five and you know, two minutes later, he's got the ball again, and he'll go again, and he'll go again, and and, and you know, Kigo's not like that. He'll literally be on the ball fifteen times in the game, right? That's it. And if things aren't happening for him, <laughs> then he's not going to score. So I'd kind of disagree a little bit on that. One. I think I think it's down to service. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that, Alan. Because if you think of Rogers. Not at Celtic, where he was obsessive with possession in the beginning. His his Leicester side at their best, they had Castagna and um, whoever I can't remember who the right back was at the time. Um, as like really powerful runners with the ball. Same with Harvey Barnes, and then a couple of more wingers. He had, he had runners from midfield. Like Rogers at Leicester when they finished uh, just outside of the top four twice in a row, where they were they were in the top four for the entire year, then dropped out. They had strong runners and they were quite direct. They weren't a possession uh, dominated team at all. They just got the ball forward really quickly to their wrong, uh, strong, powerful runners and then into the box to their strikers. And Celtic are, are not doing that at the minute from the wings. Johnson's starting to do it a little bit more from uh, right back on. Sorry, I know you uh, did a little bit on him. We might touch on him again and on the defensive issues at some point, but he seems to be coming back to what he was um, 
last season uh, in his ball distribution and his crossing and things like that. So we'll touch on that on another show. But I think that's where we will leave the show for this week. We'll be back again next week with a review of the Kilmarnock game. And uh, there's also Champions League next week as well, isn't there? Or is that two weeks' time? Uh, yeah, I think it's next week. I'm not sure. Yeah, next fine week, or next is, Wednesday. Is yeah, week. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, whether or not we'll have a show before that or after that, we'll uh, let you know on Twitter. But until then, we will chat to you again next week. Chat to you later. Good luck. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier. All built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Welcome back to Two Judgy Girls. I'm Mary from the Bay. And I'm Courtney from L.A. TJG is the podcast where we spill all the tea on your favorite reality TV shows, celebrity gossip, and everything in between. We're here to bring you our unfiltered opinions, hilarious commentary, and plenty of laughs along the way. We're two SDSU Delta Gamma sisters with a microphone and a whole lot of opinions. Each week, we dive headfirst into the wild world of reality television from Bravo to all the trash TV you could want. We break down the drama, dissect the latest scandals, and share our thoughts on everything from the jaw-dropping moments to the embarrassing antics. But that's not all. We're not here to just gossip. We're here to connect with you, the jurors, and share our love of all things pop culture. Whether we're dishing on the latest celebrity breakups, discussing our favorite guilty pleasure movies, or sharing embarrassing stories from our own lives, we promise to keep it real, keep it fun, and keep you coming back for more. Come judge with us. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.